Welcome to Shanghai Zan, a raw and lively regular debate about China tech, advertising, creativity, platforms, and the intersection of it all. Join us each session for timely and relevant discussions on all things China marketing. We'll also be joined by an entire spectrum of China experts. You can hear more about Shanghai John on our website at johnstation.com. Coming to you directly from the city of Shanghai, I'm Bryce Whitwong, and I'm Ali Kazmi. And we'd like to thank everyone for their continued support. Ali, today is our thirtieth episode, three o, dude, and、uh, we've already reached over one hundred thousand downloads. And if you like the show, share it with your friends, or better yet, give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Making this podcast is pure love and not profit. And between platform fees, we run this show at a loss. So if you'd like to help us, please donate at Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash Shanghai John. And today we're talking about building successful marketing campaigns in China. As this podcast will be broadcasted right after Double Eleven, we thought it would be appropriate to talk about what goes into an effective marketing campaign. Brand campaigns in China excel at driving sales targets, and we know after Double Eleven, all brands and agencies want their sales targets and the results through their Double Eleven projects. But are they doing anything to build marketing equity? Is it just all about sales? In China, it's easy to launch a brand. If you're spending the big bucks from some famous influencers, but sustaining momentum is tough. They always say that year one is easy, but year two is a different matter. Has China's obsession with achieving sales targets sacrificed long-term growth, or does it really matter anymore? To talk about this, we are honored to have Diran Aman. He's a seasoned marketer with extensive experience managing brands across Asia. He's currently CMO. Of NTUC Income, based in Singapore, he was previously CMO Asia of Kraft Heinz, managing one billion dollar portfolio across China and Southeast Asia. Diren's brand portfolio was largely centered around large local brands, including some really big global iconic ones. In China, these brands included Guanghe and Masters, as well as ABC in Indonesia. Diren also had a global brand management stint at Unilever Asia. In addition to his marketing roles, Diren also served as jury chairs for the APEC EFIs and EFIs China Awards, and is a big advocate of effectiveness awards. Diren, welcome to Shanghai John. Hi, Bryce. Hi, Ali. How are you? We're great, thanks. So, Diren, tell us a little bit about yourself and your transition to Singapore seven months ago. I always remarked to Ali and my friends that. Uh, I think you were one of the kings of quarantine <laughs> in, the, in your Kraft Heinz days before you moved to, to Singapore. How are you able to be a multi-market CMO of Kraft Heinz during the height of COVID and and the quarantines? How did that work out for you? I have done six quarantines, which is so. Yes, I, I wouldn't like the title of king of quarantines, and I'm not sure I am, but six is a lot. No, I mean uh, managing. Uh, I was based in China, as you know. So within China. Uh, we had been fortunate enough, all the way from 2020、uh, March till 2022 February, we were living normal lives. So during the time when I was not quarantining, it was life was normal in China,、uh, thanks to their policies. But yeah, I mean, it, having a Asia mandate based out of China meant that you couldn't travel to other countries, partly because of 
the tough China quarantines and partly also because of travel restrictions through 2020 and 2021. So managing the other markets was challenging without actually being able to visit them. But managing China was not tough because of the quarantines. It was not the quarantines didn't actually affect managing China while being in the country. So thankfully, that was good. Uh, my journey uh, back to Singapore uh, was timely. Uh, I've been I've been away from Singapore for uh, for a while now. Uh, I needed to get back. I also changed industries. I've been doing FMCG for a for a fair amount of time uh, through Unilever and through Kraft Heinz. And I, I particularly enjoy the the rush of consumer goods uh, in terms of innovations and and the commercial aspect of marketing. And now I, I work in uh, in the business of insurance, which is I would imagine from a marketing standpoint, funnily not as different. The marketing fundamentals don't change while the industry does. So. I think thankfully that's been a smoother transition than I expected to the industry. But to Singapore as a country, it was it was obviously a transition I was looking forward to. Oh, I can imagine. With your experience in China, how did that help you manage the other countries? Do you think that the China market being different was a benefit in terms of when you looked at Thailand or Indonesia, uh, which were under your responsibility? Do you feel that having that knowledge base from China was a benefit or is it just that the markets were completely different and they weren't relatable? Uh, no, I, I think that markets are are different culturally. Markets are different in terms of the category dynamics that we operate in. Uh, soy in China is not the same as soy in Indonesia, either in the product nor in the cultural nuances through which that, ca- that, that product is consumed. So culturally, most it's you can't apply the same principles. But some of the other principles stay. So, you know, the fact that your your marketing mix needs to drive commercial success, your innovations need to be need to be properly crafted for the market. Th- those are basic marketing fundamentals that will translate to any to any, across any geography. So those hold you in good stead. I think the what transfers from China is actually channel learning, specifically e-commerce, which is obviously significantly more advanced in China than any other part of the world. To be able to take that and apply it to other markets which are in compared compared to China in a in nascency is is nice is good. Uh, secondly, I think uh, the concept of China speed is a real thing. In other markets, you'll be happy if you do four or five innovations in one category in a year. In China, doing more than twenty is par for the course. So you you or for example in communication, China doesn't operate on on the basis of campaigns. There's a campaign every day in China. It's just a function of how you're executing it. So the speed of China and the change in your craft and the change in your marketing mix that you learn in China to to succeed in China can certainly be applied in terms of efficiency uh, to other markets. So I think that's the skill part. So the channel learning on e-commerce and the skill of operating at China speed are two things that you can apply um, apply to other markets, uh, which are valuable learnings. And finally, I think, you know, uh, because uh, China is is so heavily driven by commercial success and when it, all markets are driven by commercial success, but the China numbers for commercial success are, are gigantic. And so that puts a particular level of pressure on on you as a marketer and on on you as a as a business leader to be able to soak in that pressure and succeed is also a soft skill that you will apply once you've done the China student. So I think that's the soft part, which I think is uh, transfers well. How do you think that 
the innovation side uh, will impact large global brands in the context that you mentioned China speed and the need to be able to create new innovative products in addition to campaigns. I mean, I think that what we're seeing is a bigger trend towards social media driving e-commerce in other parts of the world. And that primarily will be driven by the way that they can create innovative products that will be able to be talked up and emphasized in the social platforms, which is in effect is very similar to how China kind of works. Do you think that China will also have an, an impact globally on how brands will look at their innovation uh, timelines? I think no, because I think the, the reason why innovations are, are that dramatic in China is actually driven by partly the channel, which is very large, which is e-commerce. And secondly, the uh, the need to uh, to drive incremental growth, right? These are spe- very specific reasons why China's innovation uh, funnel is is driven at that kind of speed. In other markets, this will happen once e-commerce goes uh, goes from being nascent to being mature. The more e-commerce becomes prominent, e-commerce uh, demands newness faster than most other channels. Not most, all other channels. Uh, channels like you know general trade will require familiarity, right? E-commerce demands newness. Although even in e-commerce, your your hero products will always sell a lot, but the channels themselves, or the e-commerce channels, as I call them, the big JDs and Ali's of the world, demand innovation for giving preference to brands, right? Uh, It's the calling card. And they are very powerful, rightly so, because of the size of e-commerce in China. And only when that transfers to other markets in terms of maturity will the level of innovations speeden up at scale. Otherwise, the level of innovations that need to be done within categories or by brands are are going to be limited by by the kind of categories you operate in. You know, this is something that that um, that I'm just going to borrow from um, also the you know the physical aspect versus the the digital aspect of the of the e-commerce or the commercial experience. It also feels like you have to bring in that newness because it's a 2D environment. Whereas if you were in an offline or a retail environment, then you could kind of get away with you know familiarity or just making sure that that you've got the right prompts. Do you think the channel has a lot to do with that or is that just is it just e-commerce and uh, because it, it, that's the only way to attract attention um, with amongst e-commerce users in, in China? You make a fair point. I think the fact that it's a 2D versus 3D retail environment does play a role. I don't know whether it's a large enough role, but it does play a significant role. Although I, I keep coming back to the same point, I think honestly it's the channel maturity that is driving that. At the end of the day, you know, you look at double elevens. There's a reason why there are that many new launches that happen around double eleven or around nine nine, and and those become you know tentpole dates for brands around which they do some of their biggest uh, product launches or some of their biggest communication launches. Right? It's it's for it's for a reason, and I think that's that's the point I'm trying to make, which is because it's that big, it's necessary, and because the channels command that kind of pull, they also command newness. It's got to do with the new. It's got to do with the majority of the channel, and also got to do with the with with how the channel operates. Which I think your point is fair. It's 2D, and consumers want to see something new. The best example I can give is if you go to a new toy shop, 
and see the same old toys in the new toy shop you're going to feel a little let down because then there's nothing new except the except the facade right uh, the same is true of e-commerce that's correct i think tmic exists for exactly that reason right the yeah. innovation center at tmall exists exactly for that reason to work with clients and advertisers to come up with new product innovations that serve specifically those tent pole periods you mentioned earlier and Excellent. also that's an important point right see at the end of the day innovations are based on customer insight and customer knowledge and purchase behavior while not the only trigger to customer knowledge is an important trigger right and a lot of the a lot of the e-commerce channels are sitting on a ton of data that is that is coming from e-commerce channels and they are able to work with some of the biggest brands to bring it to their advantage to be able to create triggers for driving more and more innovation so they're not just a channel in that sense they're also a source of inspiration for more innovation which helps it creates a cyclical creators economy which is always a good thing a discussion that during we once had in shanghai regarding effectiveness and you mentioned to me that as as a judge for the both china and apac fe awards you noticed that the level of execution in china is amazing that the teams the marketing teams the the submissions are razor perfect in the concept of how they actually execute the details but there was something missing can you talk about that what was the missing part that you felt in your experience in looking at effectiveness campaigns in china the the, the big advantage coming out of china for marketers is you're always going to be commercially astute right uh, you'll always start with creating anything with a very sharp focus on a business challenge and the business challenge is never is always your output metrics which are sales market share or customer acquisition right so when you start with that every marketing input that you create after that whether it's communication innovation you know promotions uh, pricing changes are all delivering to a commercial goal that always will make china's work much more effective and because it's so commercially focused the level of detailing and the execution tends to be very sharp right however the challenge with with china is that the commercial focus should actually drive better work quality right better clutter breaking work and that better clutter breaking work should drive in should not drive incremental growth it should drive substantial growth over a long period of time what's happening today is and this is a blanket statement there are obviously great pieces of work coming out of china but as a aggregate china has lesser brand building work that drives long term commercial success compared to some of the other other markets what china does very well or chinese marketers do very well is they are able to drive short term commercial success with scale because of the quality of their executions right again uh, like i said this is this, this will sound like a bit of a blanket statement uh, like most things in life this is also not true there are great examples of long term brand building work in china as there are great examples of short term commercial success in other parts of asia but as an aggregate china seems to have lesser of them because the commercial focus tends to be short term clutter breaking brand building ideas are not that many and how do you then build brand purpose in china if you're such a amount of short term sales growth 
generated from e-commerce? What's the method? What's the way to do it? How do you balance the brand building side with the sales generation side of the business? I don't think they're different. If we try and make them different, then we have a problem. I think great platforms will drive short-term and long-term goals. We did that. I mean, when I was working for Kraft Heinz, Gwangha seemed to be a good example. Unilever has some brands where there are good examples of that, where long-term, where strong platforms drive short-term and long-term commercial success. I think the challenge is identifying platforms that drive long-term and short-term commercial success versus identifying campaign ideas or incremental products that drive a short-term sales boost but don't build towards a larger brand preference. Those come from platforms, right? Uh, they don't come from strong campaign ideas that are one-off. And so I, I don't see the difference. I think the, the challenge that, that marketers will have in China is to be able to identify those platforms that drive both. And I think as is evident in other parts of the world and in some cases in China, that can be done. Duran, you mean platforms. Are you talking about like an activation or a campaign platform or talking about a like a social media platform? No, I'm talking about a brand platform around which I multiple different ideas can be activated, right? The, the Dove platform for real beauty is a platform. Uh, Lifeboy's hand washing is a platform, right? L'Oreal's uh, platform for the science of beauty, the, the science of beauty is a platform. These are platform ideas. If I if I talk closer home, uh, Heinz has a Heinz has a few good platforms, right? Heinz itself has a strong platform around around rich tomatoes. So it's platforms are supposed to be things around which you build strong ideas that can deliver short term and long term commercial goals, because they come from a point of difference that will stand out whether you're pushing it for a short term promotion or a short term campaign or a long-term brand building idea. So that's the point. The platform is a brand platform, not a social media platform. I've always found it very difficult or challenging, I mean, to to explain this this concept of building brand platforms and, and, and making it into something that's commercially viable. Like, what were some of the challenges, I guess, you might have faced in explaining this concept of a brand platform that is able to also deliver commercial success in your role as Asia CMO in, in China. It seems like it's counterintuitive to the way e-commerce operates, promotions, discounts, points. How, how did that work for you? Actually, uh, to be entirely honest, I didn't struggle. I, was, I had the benefit of having the president CEOs of uh, both in my stint, two president CEOs, one of whom was a, a former marketer who moved to become the zone president. And then the person who took over from him had also built long-standing brands in his previous stint at AB InBev. So I didn't struggle with that concept primarily because of the benefit of having two bosses who understood that. Right? I think some of your biggest challenges are, are if your leadership doesn't understand the value of long-term brand building, then yes, as a marketer, you will face a challenge. And and it can be both frustrating and, and not rewarding because you will be pulling in a different direction from your leadership, which obviously does not benefit the company. But I, I didn't struggle. I would have to make up a struggle to, to, to fill up the podcast. But I, I honestly didn't struggle. I had the benefit of, of a boss uh, who, did, who understood this very well. Yeah. So having that kind of support is important to 
be able to accept that we're going to build a long-term brand. That kind of commitment in the company is, is really important. I know even some big major multinationals that I've worked with in China have seemed to lost that important part. They seem to primarily change their focus from a short-term sales company and from a, a long-term brand perspective. They require less strategic brand planning and activation platform development from their agencies. They're looking more towards short-term sales wins. A situation where, uh, let's say, an agency is facing a, a client with, with that type of short-term mindset, is there any advice that you might be able to give to them? What are some of the important roles that they play given this juxtaposition between e-commerce and brand platform building? I think my, my, my advice would be start from your commercial ambition over, over three, four years. Don't start with your commercial ambition just in the year. Break it down into three, four years of commercial ambition. Do you want to grow 25%, 30%, 50%, 100%, right? Start from there. Identify your, no, have a good understanding of the channels you're serving in, right? Sometimes you may get lost in the fact that you are in China, so it's e-commerce, but you may not realize that your biggest channel is general trade. Completely changes the dynamics of how you'll operate in China. So get a strong understanding of your channel that you're serving. Understand that the commercial ambition you have, and then create a platform that delivers to the commercial ambition, right? If your commercial ambition is 16% growth versus your commercial ambition is 60% 60 growth, there's a difference in the way you will craft your brand, right? Uh, once you've done these two, then go down to the process of saying, for this 60% or 16%, whatever the number is, where is my growth coming from? Is it coming from new users, which is penetration? Is it coming from getting share from customers? Or is it coming from upgrading? Or is it a combination of all? I mean, you could be a brand that is, that is serving multiple different tiers. After you have all this, then start to distill it into what it means in terms of your brand in terms of your brand platform. What is the target audience that you have to go after, whether it's for market share or penetration growth? What is their behavior? What is a unique insight that you have into them that is different from other other brands in the market? What is the actual role that your your product or your brand plays in fulfilling that need? And then on the basis of that, identify a purpose or a platform. But it has to start from a commercial goal. Because if you don't start from that commercial goal of three to five years, you're not going to be able to convince anybody about what you're trying to do, let alone the company. You start always from there. And then you're, you will always be able to weave a story that is true to the commercial goal the company has. So that would be my advice. In terms of building platforms uh, for brands in China, I remember you mentioned once the importance of pop culture and importance of staying relevant in the China market. How, how, how do brands you know, stay in touch with pop culture? Can, can you think of any good examples? The good thing about China is the channel part, the channels are very good at being, being part of pop culture. The e-commerce channels. You don't need to look a little beyond Ali or JD or those guys. The big companies like L'Oreal are able to tap into pop culture, right? Uh, and that's interesting because they are a global brand, yet they have a significantly large business in China. 
and it all comes down to one thing as it comes down to in any market and china is no different how much effort are you putting in talking and listening to your customers on a daily basis the more you listen the more you are spending time as a marketer understanding what your customers think and feel and spending time with them versus in your offices you will be part of pop culture and you will be able to bring that back into the mixes you create if you end up spending all your time in office and you meet a customer or meet meet your consumer once in 3 months you're certainly not going to be part of pop culture that is the one thing that doesn't change in china versus the rest of the world where china gives you an advantage is just the richness of data around customers that you get from various different sources you should be able to harness that get access to it as a marketer when you come in and then use that to tap into pop culture i, I don't think tapping into pop culture is a china thing I think tapping into pop culture is a universal thing. I think it's just easier in China. And can you think of any good examples in China uh, of a brand, of course, the ones that you worked on that really tap into this pop culture very well? Actually, the people who do this really well, honestly, who are on the pulse on pop culture, are the KOLs. The KOLs who, who in its, who in themselves are one of the largest channels in China, understand their audience and the younger audience a lot more. than many brands do and that is why you see them having the kind of success they do in terms of the live streams and the money and the income they generate from a single live stream so i would say that actually it's kols who understand pop culture the best in china i know that you've been a judge on some of the fe awards i know and you've emphasized to your teams at the time to that they should you should participate both in terms of the agencies and brand managers why do you think it's important uh, to participate in effectiveness awards i don't think it's important if you have the time it's good so that you know how good your efforts towards driving commercial effectiveness are compared to everything else that's happening around you and within the world of within the world of commercial marketing right at the end of the day we are commercial craftsmen uh if we if we navel gaze a lot we are not going to really grow the only way to grow is to see if there is a yardstick of excellence and and aspire to achieve that and the only way you can aspire to achieve a yardstick of excellence is to participate in meaningful effectiveness awards that show you where you stand more importantly than participating i think people should be reading getting access to and reading cases of excellence that some of the effect some of the good effectiveness awards provide because they give you an insight into the kind of work that people do towards effectiveness in marketing that's actually the one of the best ways to learn and improve your craft uh, within marketing so to me that that's the reason it's a benchmark of excellence knowing the benchmark of excellence is important and learning from the benchmark of excellence is important which is why marketers should do so i know that you've also you participated in, in in judging effectiveness uh, awards what are some of the big pet peeves or some of the problems you always face when you see some of the submissions and you know do you have any advice for for brands and agencies to improve on those connected back to commercial goals first any business challenge is a commercial challenge it's not a it's not a awareness challenge or it's not a engagement challenge awareness and engagement are tools of driving penetration or market share or you know sales at the end of the day those are the metrics that matter so that's what people should be measuring and defining their business challenge 
which is starting i mean to be entirely honest in 2022 we have seen a lot of that happen and i think it's probably because we came out of the covid years i think covid was a bit of a was i think a bit of a learning ground for a lot of marketers because for a lot of businesses covid brought the harsh reality of channels closing down physical availability became a challenge and so a lot of marketers were tasked with being able to find alternative means of driving sales and so that i think was a good learning ground for a lot of marketers and that's starting to reflect in the cases we see so that's my first not pet peeve but i think one learning over seeing a lot of cases is doing a better job of connecting business challenge to commercial goals the second is avoiding exaggeration judges and and you know marketers who judge or are, are are smart they'll be able to see through the exaggerated language and just go down and see whether the numbers add up or not so exaggeration is not a good thing and and you see a fair amount of that as basic as it sounds keep it simple if there is a good idea it will show if if the case is about average idea but one that delivered heavily on business because of it being a good promotion or whatever it will show don't use complexity as a way of masking a, a masking what's average so i think those are the three things that i would i would call out and can you give us a couple examples of some amazing campaigns that you've seen uh from china over the last few years either either from your previous company or possibly another brand that you said really really does an amazing job is there any anything that comes to mind like i've been asked this question as well before and you know it's always a challenge it's always a challenge to identify work that's that stands out uh, and and i completely agree with you also on the award stuff the the number of times i've had to rewrite or edit work that you know a, a planner at an agency has written it's just it's just convoluted it's just there's just too many buzzwords it's too it's too exaggerated it's too complicated and uh and 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 whenever you know th- that's always hint you know for me it's always a hint of anyone that has to explain so hard it's a bad campaign <laughs> and the rest of it is so actually the one brand that does come to mind but that's primarily because of of the work that they have done around uh, empowering women uh, is sk2 sk2 has done a reasonable amount of good work in china around empowering women around you know whether it's about women who have not been married for a long period of time and the societal issues that come with that that's a brand that actually now when i think of it and i'm looking back is a brand that's actually done has done work that's been consistently that's been consistently good uh, over a period of time so i think that's the one because of the platform and that brings me back to the point of you know eventually it's the platforms that that matter you mentioned some good work that you did with guanghe could you talk about what guanghe is and the platform and maybe get a sense of how how the platform helped achieve the brand success yeah of course so guanghe is a fermented bean curd brand quite popular in certain pockets in 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 south china right our biggest challenge was that its growth was limited because it was primarily being consumed by by elderly people as a taste elevator to porridge essentially if we stayed if we stayed with that audience base our our business growth would be limited so obviously we needed to reframe the ca- the category uh, the the consumer base go after the 30 to 40 year old Uh, people who have grown up with guanghe as a brand because as children they were given that brand uh, again with a bowl of porridge as a taste elevator and to bring it back in an avatar that people would 
and so we came up with a platform idea for that audience of preserving a taste of childhood and that is a platform we then were able to say that if we are about preserving the taste of childhood but we're talking to a 30 to 40 year old audience how do we reframe the product as well as the communication to deliver to that so the communication focuses on the nostalgia of taste the product focuses on being paired with modern dishes to make that uh, taste more relevant to things like pasta or to things like local Chinese food that the 30 to 40 year olds would eat, which was fusion food. That platform allowed for product innovation or product reframing and also allowed for communication to be reframed to a younger audience. And yeah, you can keep going, right? I mean, that's a platform and you can keep coming with ideas around that that are different. That's a great, great example too, because Guanghe is probably the most local product you can possibly think of. And then taking this mindset into a very local product and effectively trying to change uh, its perception amongst younger audiences. That's great. The thing about that, Bryce, sorry, is that, again, it starts from a commercial challenge that your that your sales growth is muted over years because of the audience that you serve. And so if you want to grow faster, you have to change the audience segment. So that tells you that you can take a commercial target and a commercial problem and convert it into a consumer problem and then move from there towards a brand platform. I wish I had the opportunity to to discuss with client commercial ambitions three years down the road or five years down the road. I think a lot of times when work gets passed on to us, it's it's very, you know, it's for that next campaign. And so it's very rare that you have a conversation with someone that's asking, well, why don't you work backwards from a three years later kind of commercial goal? Certainly, you know, a lot of the work that we do, we try to work backwards from business ambition and then let that lead towards uh, marketing and then from there on into creativity. With agencies as well, there is two two concepts. One is the concept of partnership, which is you should be entirely transparent about, to the extent you can, about your business challenges so that they are entirely aware of your business challenges and hence the kind of process and decision making that you're going through brought from a communication product pricing standpoint because they are your partners and the more they know about what you do the better is their ability to to create solutions for you in communications that are better equally you need to be clear about accountability which is you need to know what every partner that you are picking is meant to solve right you can't be going with a business problem that's that's root cause uh, lies in pricing to an agency partner i think that's barking up the wrong tree right uh, or if your product uh, if you have a product issue yes the agency partners and they have great examples of agency partners coming out with product solutions but you yeah. can't hold them accountable for that problem their accountability lies elsewhere within your purview and i think you should be able to hold your agency partners as partners but accountable to the to the output you want out of them which is excellent brand ownership and brand platform creation and maintain and continuously creating strong ideas coming out of clutter breaking brand platforms i just wanted to shift gears a bit duran and ask you about your experience in China as a CMO. And, you know, despite the lockdowns and quarantines and overall less positive outlook for the next year, do you still think that having China experience for 
marketers, senior marketers is is important step in their career? Absolutely, it's gold. There is nothing you learn about China before coming to China. And you will leave China a better professional because the channel mix culture is very ambitious, more ambitious than any other part of the world. That is what gives China its speed, right? The the channels are are growing at a much faster clip than any other part of the world. People cannot even envision what it means to live in China when you say that it's a completely digitally driven economy. So when you come from the outside, you're faced with these entirely different variables in terms of category, channel, culture, uh, business ambition that that is uh, not replicable, replicatable in any other part of the world. And so your skills may stay, but the level of adaptation that you have to make to even be moderately successful in China is very high. That actually tests the metal, the skill, the resilience and the adaptability of marketers and leaders. And which is exactly why some of the best, some of the biggest CMOs, not both CMOs, but even CEOs of large organizations have done China stints. It's exactly for that reason. It's it's a skill of managing a market that's so advanced and so different from other parts of the world that it it is almost a, I think a, a stamp on your uh, a stamp on your passport to a global role. Well, that's great, and we always ask this question to to our guests. You know, you've been a CMO in a large corporation and continue to be one now uh, with uh, NTUSC. What advice would you give to brand managers? you know, wanting to pursue a marketing role. How has the CMO role evolved from when you first ex- got exposed to it to, to what you're doing now? I think uh, the CMO title is not a chief marketing officer. It's a commercial marketing officer. So it's a- entirely important to know that as we move, especially coming out of COVID, the lines between short-term commercial success and long-term brand building have blurred. Companies and le- companies want both, and marketers have had to learn the skills or are adapting to learn the skills to deliver both. So that's the first big change that's happened, I guess, coming out of COVID. And, and you know, we don't recognize, but we've lived through a couple of recessions in the last 20 years as well. And so that's one reality, which is commercial marketing becoming a, becoming a necessity. The second is uh, the skill sets of marketers have expanded significantly. Um, driving the sustainability agenda for organizations is 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 a role that marketers have to be deeply involved in. In some cases lead, in some organizations lead, in some organizations actively, actively contribute. But it's an agenda that all companies are driving heavily, whether it's social sustainability, environmental sustainability, and marketers are meant to drive that agenda, or meant to support or lead that agenda. That's the second big change. The third big change is the richness of the data that marketers have to deal with. Being able to use that data towards driving astute decision-making for brands is again a skill that that marketers have have had to develop at speed and are still, I think, developing. Uh, it's commercial focus, blurring the lines between short and long term, uh, increased focus on sustainability and a very high requirement to deal with dreams of data that drive astute decision making so those are the big changes that have happened for marketers and uh, those are entirely there are new skills compared to you know 10 years back 
the commercial focus was still there, not as high, I think. But for the other two, is I think relatively much newer. For to to the first question you asked me, for anybody who's new in marketing, focus on the basics. Start with commerce, hmm. and focus on craft. Know what your business is about, how your business is performing, and hence what your business challenges are. And focus on learning your craft of what makes great products, what makes great communication, what makes great brands. Spend time, invest time in learning that, and then marrying those two, which is business challenge with your learnings of of uh, of craft to be able to create value for your business. I mean, that's the basis of marketing. It's not changed, uh, I guess, since Philip Philip Kotler wrote his first book. That's great. That's awesome. Uh, great advice, Duran. Ali, are we ready for the A-B test? Absolutely, we're ready for the A-B test. Duran, so A stands for Ali and B stands for Bryce. I'm going to shoot two words or two phrases at you. Um, you don't really have much time to react. Whatever comes first in mind, you, you need to pick uh, either A or either B. So I'm going to give you three seconds and then we start. Purpose or performance? Purposeful performance. Effectiveness or efficiency? Effectiveness. Insights or opportunity? Opportunity that that drives insights. <laughs> <laughs> Singapore or Shanghai? Singapore personally over Shanghai. Shanghai professionally over Singapore. Professionally. Okay, excellent. Omnichannel or e-commerce? Omnichannel. Media or marketing? Marketing. A brand or product? Brand. Uh, youth or wisdom? Wisdom. Wow, there you go. Uh, Duran, thanks thanks a lot for being on the show. That was really awesome. Uh, great insights as always. I wish you all the best of success in Singapore. And yeah, maybe we'll, we'll catch up later sometime uh, in Shanghai over a drink. Done. Thanks, guys. Have a good evening. Take care. Yeah, thanks, Duran. And thank you, everyone, for joining us on today's episode. Join us in two weeks for another exciting show. And to all our listeners, until then, have a great day. Thank you.